You don't know like I know it. Only you know what you know. But he's always, he is always, he has always been there. Brother, would you just sing it from your heart? You don't have to ad lib too much. But would you just sing in your heart? Because I feel like you've been through some things. And I feel like they don't know what it takes for a man of God to worship up here. What Jason's been through. Come on. It's a prophetic worship. come true my brother with the Lord but you gotta trust him Des can you give me some prophetic worship about how he was there in the trap house when you were there what was it Logan Square getting messed with in the barrio were you were you in the barrio what does the barrio mean what is the barrio that's the hood now be honest were you from the barrio were you from the hood are you from a good neighborhood okay how do you say good neighborhood bueno okay what was it like being a young lady growing up this is what I told my daughter the other day. I was looking at my daughter and I told her, and I said, God sees you for who you are. God doesn't just see you as a pastor's daughter. God sees you for who you are. And I began to tell her, nobody's watching you. Nobody's keeping their eyes on you. That's what a pastor's daughter thinks. Everybody's watching me. And I was like, nobody's watching you. But I feel like they're watching me. No, nobody's watching you. This became a musical. Y'all in church? Are you in a musical? It's both. What was it like? Sing it from your heart. Come on. Change it up today. Give it to me from the heart. Oh, Jesus. You brought me into your 
somebody can relate to that. back up there now of the song and think about these stories that you have just heard you're always there through thick and thin you're always there you never leave me let's sing this you heard it just from their stories what's your story today time you'll never leave me Jesus I know you're father we thank you today for this church service we thank you for the worship we thank you for the communion we thank you for the prophetic words prophetic singing psalms being written in our hearing today we thank you oh God that you've brought us here to grow in you to know you to serve you with joy in our hearts, knowing that you've set our, our lives on a different course and will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you bless the Lord? And bless the Lord for using this worship team impromptu, prophetic worship. That's what I'm talking about. I know some of you think, you may be seated, some of you think that um, we, we come to church as a show. And I'm sorry that you think that way because some of you have come to church and it is a show, but not here, not at this church. There may be elements of practice. There may be elements of professionalism. We want to do things in excellence. But my daughter, Bethany, will tell you, did I not bring you into my office the other day? I didn't even know you were here, but I forgot you spent the weekend with your yaya and papu. Um, that's Greek for, you know, grandma and grandpa. There. I'm trying to be cool, cultural, multicultural here. Um, did I not have a time with you in my office singing about childhood, singing about overcoming, singing about those things? Did I not do that with you? That happened. Because you know what? This is what I was taught when I was in Bible college, that the best pastor, the best minister you will ever be is the one that you are by yourself. So what comes most natural to you in your prayer closet between you and the Lord when you come on a stage will be the best that will bless others because that's what you're the most comfortable with because this is a relationship with God. Can I hear an amen? If you believe it, can I hear an amen? Amen. So, so I do this. This is what I do. And some of you need to learn to do this. Just what happened here in these last few moments, I want to give you now the teaching behind it. Uh, we as Christians overthink it. And we put ourselves in our own head, and it's like a broken record, and it plays over, and we miss what God is doing. God is in these moments. God is in the moments of you singing worship to him as a child from your own heart. And I don't care how masculine you are. I don't care how masculine you are. We all sing. We all like it. And uh, I, I just think about this for my, my dudes out here. I don't know about you, man, but like when I watch a movie and it gets epic and you hear that kind of music in the background... That happens before the battle, and that's, that's like motivating. I was watching Lord of the Rings the other day, uh, the prequel to it, The Hobbit, and when all of the dwarves get together in The Hobbit's house, 
and they talk about going up to the Misty Mountain. Find that video for me, the Misty Mountain. Tell me if this doesn't motivate men to want to go to war, listening to the Misty Mountain. I'm telling you. Men, music has been a part of our drive. That's why uh, before I used to do drugs or get, or while on drugs, before I used to get into a fight, we would put on that certain kind of music to motivate us to go out and do the thing. Now, we as Christians, we have to do that. We, we, we think that's silly, but no, it's godly. The Bible says that we should sing hymns and spiritual songs one to another and that we should also, uh, the Bible says, with our soul magnify the Lord. You and I should magnify the Lord with our own soul and our own voice. When you have um, a trouble or a trial in your life, prayer and singing to God will deliver you. I remember going through some times of needing a breakthrough about seven years ago, and that's where I discovered this even more real than I had in times past. Like, it became so powerful, and that's why to this day I still do it. And I know I don't sing well, so be patient with me, but um, I went back to some of these old hymns, and one of them, even to this day, and I don't want you to fake the goosebumps, but even to this day when I sing it, I feel Jesus. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Be all that's great to me forever thou art. Be thou my shepherd and be thou my delight thou in me dwelling forever my light i missed up most of those words man but the moment i started singing i just almost wanted to break down and cry when you think about what god does in your heart through singing songs man God just even took over in those few moments. I started singing words I didn't even think of because I just, the moment I started, I closed my eyes and I remembered the first moment I started singing that song. And it just touched my heart. And then God just in this moment, I don't want to be spooky, but God in this moment just changed the words because I'm like, I just, I forget them now, Jesus. I'm thinking about you. And then I just started saying about God as my shepherd, you're my light. I mean, put this on real quick just to get it in a secular mindset. Don't forget what you can do for the Lord and singing and just all oh, from your spirit. Listen to these manly men. Somebody say manly men. Listen to these manly men. Put it up so everybody can hear, please. And by the way, it's still allergy season for me, so I'm going to get some tissue over here as they're figuring this out. Thank you, my brother. Has anybody, does anybody go from winter to allergy season? And why in Chicago do we have so many allergies like it seems like everything is dead around here. I mean, I guess it's coming to life, but I never felt this in New Orleans. Did you have allergies in the South, my brother? Okay, you did have them. I didn't really have them in the South. Oh, the trees, that what it is. Start over again, my brother, so they can hear this. Yes, are you all feeling this right now? Somebody say epic.
Only at Metro Praise. Only at Metro Praise will you go from worship to listening to Lord of the Rings. But listen to Gregorian chants one day. Where do you think Gregorian chants came from? Gregorian chants came from the church. As a matter of fact, that's what it's imitating. That Celtic sound is actually imitating sounds of the church that had been popular during that time. So that is actually an imitation, I believe, of Gregorian chants. And so can I just get a commitment for some of you here to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of John chapter 5. And today I'm going to teach you about like father, like son. Somebody say, like father, like son. Amen. Can you give me a garbage bag or just a little bag so I can put some of this in here? I don't want it up here this whole time. Thank you. Look at John chapter 5. Now, before we go into John chapter 5, I want you to open up with me to 2 Timothy. There you go. Can I just put this in there? Thank you. Yeah, you can take it. We can leave it up here if you want to tie it on the sun. I'm kidding. I was actually kidding. I was kidding. You are faithful, sir. Just tie a little garbage back up there for me. Just drop it in there while I'm up here. Thank you. Hold your spot there in John chapter 5 as we get ready to discuss like father, like son. And go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and onward. And I want to show you why I'm doing this before we go into John chapter 5. I want to show you this because... Today's sermon is going to be a little bit unique, and I just want everybody on the same page, and thank you for coming. Hopefully, you're enjoying yourself. We haven't weirded you out too much. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Somebody say, preach the word. Thank you. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Does everybody see that? The time will come. How many believe that time is here now? Amen. They will not put up with sound doctrine and said to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Somebody say sound doctrine. Thank you. The reason why... I have to do what I'm doing today in our John series and go through more notes on my stickets than I normally do is because of sound doctrine. Somebody say sound doctrine. Thank you. Now go with me to John chapter 5, verse 16. Like father, like son. Like father, like son. As we're going to get into this passage, I want you to see this slide that I have here for you. Gentlemen, would you please put it up? I want you, as I read this section of Scripture, to see which doctrine best defines what you are reading now from Jesus' words. Just to give you a little bit of preface to the context, in John chapter 5, Jesus has performed his third sign, his third miracle. The first one was the wedding, turning the water into wine. How many of that's a good party? Amen. Uh, The second one was him healing a man's child. And then this one was him telling a crippled by the pool of Bethesda to get up. Okay. So there's been three signs done. Between him and the Jews, there has not been much conflict. You know where the story ends. We've already had Easter, and many of you know Jesus will die on a cross and raise again on the third day. That is mostly because of the Jewish anger, resentment, jealousy towards him. In the Gospel of John, we do not hear about the Jews until this passage. Before this, Jesus is doing what he does pretty much uninhibited. 
John is building up his point to show us why they eventually get mad with him. Each gospel writer takes their own journey through the story of Jesus and the Jews. Uh, The synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, pretty much do it the same, but John is weaving in this conflict a little bit different. The conflict will not start until after this man gets healed and is told by Jesus to take up his mat and walk. In those previous verses of chapter 5, it talks about the Jews being mad because that was considered work by taking up a mat and walking. They weren't wrong. That was actually an offense that God had said in the 613 laws was punishable by death. They deserved, uh, that man deserved the death penalty, and the Jews were right. But what Jesus is explaining to them is they don't understand that there was a bendable nature to the civil and to the religious Jewish law. The moral law never had any gray areas or bendability to it. When he said don't lie, he meant don't lie. When he said don't commit adultery, are you all tracking with me on that? Okay, but when it came to only priests could do certain functions, every now and then he let David do those functions, and David was not a priest. When David got hungry one time with his men, none of the priests, uh, no one but the priests could eat the table of showbread, the bread that was there in the temple, but God allowed David to do it. He also said to the average Jewish person, if your child gets hurt or if an animal gets hurt on the Sabbath, you can do a certain amount of work to save that animal or that child. Does everybody get gray areas? Can I hear gray areas? Not in the morals, not in the morals, but in the civil and ceremonial religious laws, there were some gray areas. And so Jesus in chapter 5 is saying to the Jews, shouldn't I, the Son of God, be able to ask this man to walk and take up his mat on the Sabbath? Because shouldn't that be counted as a gray area of helping somebody? If someone was to fall into a ditch on the Sabbath, you could do work on the Sabbath. You could travel more than your certain steps. They were, they were told you can only go certain steps from your house. Okay, So you could go more steps if an animal was hurt that was a part of your care, your livestock, that was part of your wealth. If your family member was hurt, you could go against those things, not changing the moral law, but bending and fitting the civil law, religious law to fit the need. Can I hear an amen to that? Thank you. So now we got the conflict here. John introduces it because Jesus has now been bending the rules, and they want to know Why does Jesus get to bend the rules? Jesus is going to talk in this passage, we're about ready to read, the doctrine of who he is. This is the first time that he goes into this much depth. If you remember in John chapter 1, we hear what John, the gospel writer, already knows about Jesus and starts off the gospel with. That's John, the apostle, writing, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Are you ready for me to sing one more time? If not, it's it's coming. Okay, here it is. Because of Misty Mountain, my brother, I wrote a little do-diddle, a little ditty rather, to this part because I loved it so much. Are you ready for it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
I wrote that seriously. I was like, I love that. So that you don't have to clap for pity. My daughter's so embarrassed. I'm embarrassed too. It's okay. But it's just weird. It all connects today. It just all connects. I actually had a guy on the phone, um, your friend who used to come here, Joel, I had him on the phone nerding out with him one night, and I go, bro, we should write songs like this. Yeah, because they actually make games that are like fictional. What do you call those games? Yeah, but no, but what is the genre of games that you guys play? It's not Dungeons, like Dungeons and Dragons fits into this category. What is it called? Like you made a Christian version. Yeah, role-playing games, RPG. There, there you go. So I was talking about, and I made that little song, okay? But who wrote that? That is John the Apostle writing that, John the Apostle. So when you get to red letters of Jesus in the book of John, where do you, where do you really see him talking about himself? A little bit, John 3.16, but he's doing it more, as it were, in the third person. He's, he's saying, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Who's the one doing that? Jesus is the one talking. So he doesn't use words like me and I. He says, if you lift up the son of man, when he is lifted up, he will draw the people. Like that's what he's like. As Moses lifted up the serpent, so shall the son of man. Is that the third person when you talk about yourself that way? I believe that's the third person, right? I'm not good at grammar. This is my biggest struggle. While getting my doctorate, I would have my wife and others always proof my stuff who don't have doctorates. Why? Because that's my biggest struggle. So track with me on that, okay? So Jesus is talking about himself, not with me, myself, and I terms in John 3. And then in John 4, the same type of thing. If you knew, he says to the woman, who was speaking to you, you would ask him for water, and then he would do these things. And it's only at the end where she goes, well, then... When the Messiah comes, he'll teach us all this. And he goes, the one you speak with is he. Like, that, like, that's it right there. He then opens up her mind. But not so now in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus is going with the me, myself, and I now. Jesus is making it clear about who he is and what he does. Now, remember we just read that passage in Timothy. Sound doctrine. Now I want you to... As I read this passage to decide which doctrine is Jesus teaching about himself. Is Jesus teaching what Sabellian is taught in the 300s or the 200s and the 300s that Jesus the person is also the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as I, Joe, am one person. But I'm also a father to my children, a son to my parents, and a pastor to you. But there's one Joe. This is what oneness Pentecostals believe, and they're pretty popular in this area. And some people with the young, you know, the young people, you guys listen to like Marcus Rogers, and we ask you not to because they are a cult. They are a oneness uh, group that teaches a false doctrine, okay? Now, the other one over here is a little bit more um, like, like easier to spot as wrong. Most people, even some of my staff, will share oneness Pentecostal singing and worship and not even know, and we'll help them out. But just notice the people singing the songs. If it looks like mama ain't got on no makeup and she hasn't cut her hair and it's in a bun, a bun and she's in her bondage, as it were, more than likely you listen to oneness Pentecostal, okay? So that's that. And we don't recognize that as easy. But this one we know. These are the J-dubs. Modern-day Aryans are Jehovah Witnesses who believe that the Father is only God. Only God is the Father. God is only the Father. God alone is the person of the Father. And he created Jesus as a son. They believe Jesus was created as a son as the first creation. 
And then because Jesus was created, Jesus could now, with the Father, create angels, create the universe, create all these things. So they give Jesus a lot of props, but they don't acknowledge Jesus' eternality, that he is eternal and equal with the Father in his origins. They believe the Father has no beginning nor end, but Jesus does. And isn't that something that the scripture also calls Jesus first and last, Alpha and Omega? So they miss it, and that is damnable. As a matter of fact, so is Sabellianism. As much as I love the oneness Pentecostals, and I truly want all of these people to be saved, I do believe having the wrong God doesn't get you the right salvation. Now, the standard doctrine is the Trinity, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit share the nature of God equally, not like a pie, one-third, 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 but 100%, 100%, 100%. Just like we share humanity, Joe, um, Jason, and Des, etc. We're all equally humans, but I am not Des, and Des is not Jason, and so forth. The difference between them and the example I just gave about us is that you and I don't share the same humanity. We have the same as in what equals a human nature, but my nature is separate than your nature. They share the same nature as in quality, like how we have the same quality, but then they actually share the very same essence, where you and I are two different essences. Does everybody get that? So that's what makes God God. And the Bible says when he created Adam and Eve, he created them to exemplify this, that the two together insects become what? One. So that's an example of sharing essence as they share essence. That was the example he gave when he made us in his image. Now go to John chapter 5, verse 16. Somebody say sound doctrine. Amen. I say all of this because I don't want you to have itching ears and be disappointed that I didn't tickle them today. But in some ways, we did tickle those ears with some singing, right? Uh, it, it, it didn't turn out quite the way I thought. Today, it was going to be a real test of Metro praise. Could you take straight-up doctrine? But somehow, in the middle of this sermon, it's become a musical, and so you have had a little bit of entertainment. Uh, but could you handle the word if it didn't have any singing? Could you handle just straight doctrine on a Sunday? Like almost like a Bible class. Could you all handle that? Okay, amen. I believe that you could. The title of today's sermon is Like Father, Like Son. What I want to do so I don't ruin it, I want you to have in your mind those three different options. Sabellianism, Jesus is the Father, Son, Spirit. They just share, uh, or the one person has different modes of how he, or how he acts at different times. That's Sabellianism. Arianism is the father creates the son. Trinitarianism is the father and son are equal. As I read it, because I'm going to read the whole passage first, verses 16 all the way down to 47. I want you to put on your thinking cap what one is being taught. As a matter of fact, let's leave the graphic up, and they can follow along in their own scriptures. Please follow along in your own scriptures, because I want you to think doctrinally. Verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Now you get the background. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now do you see the I, the my, the, the words me, myself, and I, you see that being used here? Because I'm about ready to read the whole passage. I want you to see how he switches. He's not talking about himself in the third person anymore. He's now going to tell you exactly who he is. For this reason, they, talking about the Jews, tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling 
uh, God, his own father, making himself equal with God. Very important. Right here we see John, the gospel writer, is telling us this is why they're mad at him. He is making himself equal to God. This is the accusation, the problem that they have with him. Now he is going to begin to teach them. He is now going to tell them who he is. Are you all ready? 19 to 47. Somebody say sound doctrine. Amen. Keeping this on the board, which one does Jesus teach about himself? Jesus gave them this very answer. Truly I tell you, in verse 19, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, verse 30, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I testify about myself. My testimony is, if, rather, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. Verse 33, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Y'all hanging in there? A few more verses. Verse 41, he's dropping it like it's hot. He's making it clear. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. 
I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Verse 45 and onward in closing. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are sent. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, leaving up this chart, if you're going to be honest with yourself, there's probably a competition or a little bit of a confusion between the Trinity and Arianism. Most reading this would not see any of Sabellianism there. Why? Because continually over and over and over again, Jesus differentiates himself from the Father. Over and over again, did you see it in the text? He kept saying that I can do nothing unless the Father allows me to do it. I have a testimony, it's my works, but my father also testifies about me along with John the Baptist. He's differentiating himself from the father. So we're going to now put a big X over Sabellianism. This one really is a subtle heresy that people believe, but it is really the easiest to spot as being false. It is sad how many people believe it, it can be tricky when you really read other scriptures, but when you read Jesus entirely in his own context and his largest passages of teaching, it's clear he's not the Father. He is not saying, sometimes I come as the Father, sometimes I come as the Son, other times I come as the Holy Spirit. It is clear from a, state, uh, a section of teaching, he's not the Father. Does everybody agree with that? Because I just don't want to brush past that, but I want you to see as you read it yourself that that really doesn't even fit here. To try to make that fit, you would have to bend the, the, the text all the way around until it loses all of its context. Because if you believe Jesus is now appearing as the Son, but he is the person of the Father in the Old Testament, he has now contradicted what we would call the object distinction, person-object distinction. He has talked about someone as if it's not him, when that's really supposed to be him. We, he's just broken logic, in other words. Does everybody get that? The law of non-contradiction says that A cannot be B and have different qualities. The object distinction. If A equals uh, B, then A and B have to be identical. Okay? If you say Joe is Jason, Joe is Jason, the only way Joe could be Jason is if Joe and Jason have identical properties. And then now what you're calling Joe and you're calling Jason is really not the, the issue. It's really their properties. Okay? So if you say an apple is an orange, it doesn't matter what you call it. But if I define an apple as everyone would in the dictionary and then an orange as everyone would in the dictionary, an apple and an orange cannot be the same. Does everybody get that? But if I say what you call an orange is an apple and then what I call an apple is an apple, so an apple is an orange, I have now changed the names, but I haven't changed the nature. So it's confusing, but everybody track with me. A thing is what it is, and it can't be otherwise. If two things are being said to be equal, the names are not the most important. So the Sabellianists, here I went deeper on this than I wanted to. 
The Sabellianists would be right to say Jesus could be the Father. They could have two different names. One is called Jesus. One is the Father. The Father's always in heaven. Jesus is when he comes on earth. So it's like Joe's a pastor when he's in church, but Joe's a wakeboarder when he goes wakeboarding. So Joe is a wakeboarder. Joe is a father. The words father and wakeboarder are two different words. Does everybody get that? But the same guy is nature, my nature. I'm doing the same things. I'm up here, and I'm out there wakeboarding. When you look at this conversation, does it look like Jesus is just calling himself by the Father in the third person? No, because he is distinguishing who he is from the Father. He keeps saying over and over again, the Father sent me. Why didn't he just say the Father sent himself or I came as the Son or something? Those words don't exist there. The law of identity says if we now make Jesus out to be the Father, we have broken logic. How many know if I say an apple is an orange, and I mean that in the way of definitions of how we accept apple and orange, how many know I've contradicted myself? An apple is not an orange. If Jesus is saying he's the son and the father, he has contradicted himself because he has described the father in entirely different ways than he's described himself. Here's one major way. The father has not been sent. The son has been sent. Isn't that a big distinguishment right there? That's a big difference. One is doing the sending. The other one is being sent. You can't send yourself. Are you listening to me? You can't, you can't send yourself and then say one has been sent and one has not been sent. If you have sent yourself, you are living in a make-believe world. Because if I'm sending someone, that means I'm not going. I'm sending Calvin to go get something at the grocery store. I'm, I'm not going. Does everybody get that? It's weird when we get to the bedrock of logic, just how complicated it really gets. But then we have to back it all the way up to common sense. That's why we know Sabellianism is wrong. And we knew that right from the very beginning in John 1.1, even when they try to make their point, which is like their biggest point is there in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they go, see, the Word is God. The Word is the Father. See, the Son is the Father. That's what that means. But how many know they go from clause A to clause C, and they skip clause B, which says the Word was with God. The Word was with God. You can't be with yourself unless you're mentally ill. Can I hear an amen? Once again, just comments that you can't be with yourself unless you're mentally ill. You're thinking, you're hearing other voices, and that's true in schizophrenia, but you're not even really two selves then, okay? You're still one self, but you're a confused self. The Bible says in John 1.1 1, 1, that the Word is with God. That means the one he is with, he is not. But then when it says in John 1 C, that third part, see, see, see it as A, B, and C. In the beginning was the word is A, and the word was with God is B, and the word was God is C. Does everybody get it? John 1, 1, A, John 1, 1, B, John 1, 1, C. You all get some doctrine here, right? Okay. When we understand that he's not with himself, but then it says in C, and the word was God, we have one of two ways to interpret God now. God means the person of the Father, which at times it's used that way. The word God can be a generic way to refer to the Father. That when we say God, we meant the Father. That's what we meant. Or God means a quality. So if we know you can't be with yourself, then that God word cannot be defined as the Father. Because it would mean this. In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with the Father, and the Son was the Father. 
That's how they would have to interpret. Does everybody get that? If we just used word as son and God as father, as they mean it, this is what that scripture would be saying to them. In the beginning was the son, the son was with the father, and the son was the father. That's not the way to understand that. The best way to understand God is not as the person of the Father, but the quality of God. So God can mean, generically speaking about the Father, or God can mean the quality of what makes divinity. So it sounds better when you say, in the beginning was the Son, the Son was with the Father, and the Son was God like the Father. Does everybody get that? That's how you translate that better, interpret that better. Now go to John 1.18 just so you can see John backs that up. And then we'll go to the one that's really going to be our issue. Can I get some water as well, please? John chapter 1, verse 18. Somebody say sound doctrine. Oh, you all mumbled that. Somebody say sound doctrine. Thank you so much. Now look at John 1.18. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. It happens. I know. Thank you. You're so nice. Look at what it says. No one has ever seen God. Now, how are we going to interpret God before we go to the rest of it if what we're saying is right? In John 1.1, we said God can mean God the Father or the nature of God. If we're right, no one has ever seen God, that would refer to the Father. Let's see if we're right. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself, what? God And his closest relationship with what? The Father has made him known. So it is appropriate to say the Son is God just like the Father, but he is not God the Father. We see in John 1.1, we were right to interpret that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. We were right there to say the God he is with is not just a nature, it's the person of the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God the Father. Everybody tracking with me? And the Word was God the Father, and the Son was God the Father. No, and the Word, the Son, is God like the Father. Does everybody see that? I'm going to take it really slow if you don't. Go back up to John 1.1. I'm I'm already confusing some of you. This is actually good that we're going through it. Go to John 1.1 and notice this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look at it. Take your time and see if you get it. Let's just start in the very first clause, clause A. In the beginning was the Word. Who is that person we're going to know is also the Word? Who are we going to to call that? Jesus, right? Now, just to let you know you're right to do that, go to verse 14. Go to verse 14 so you'll know. And you can stop putting in the verse for everyone. Just scroll to them because we're going to be in the same chapter. Thank you, my guy. Doing awesome back there. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only what? Son, who came from where? The Father, full of grace and truth. Okay? So by looking at verse 14, we know a lot now about verse 1. The word is going to be called the Son. Does everybody get that? And the where, where he's coming from is from the Father. Okay? Does everybody get that? It says he came from where? Who came from the Father? Now go back up to 1-1, please. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, you got a little happy on the scroll. A little happy. If you need my help today, brothers, I can have the pad here as well. 
I want to make sure everybody's tracking with me. Go back up to John 1.1. 1, 1. Look at it. In the beginning was the Word. Who are we calling the Word now? Jesus or the Son, right? Everybody with me? Okay. So in the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning was the Son. Okay? Now let's go to the next part. And Jesus was with God, and the Son was with God. Everybody there? Now we have two different ways to interpret God. God can be the Father. We're speaking about the Father, or we're speaking about the nature of what God is. All-powerful, all-knowing, divine divinity. Does everybody get that? Okay. So the word was with divinity? No. The word was with omniscience and all-knowing? No, no. You're not with qualities, are you? You can only be with an object or a person. Right? We're still in the real world. We're not breaking logic. Right? Even heaven obeys logic. God is logic. God doesn't contradict himself. God is truth, okay? God may not do things by what you consider to be reasonable, what you can reason or understand, but God never tells a lie. God never breaks logic. In heaven, there cannot be a married bachelor. In heaven, there cannot be a married bachelor. You all get that? A married bachelor is a contradiction. In heaven, there cannot be a square circle. God does not make square circles. Can you make a square circle? It's impossible. The Bible says he does not lie. He is the truth. Okay, you understand that now? Right? So when we look at the word God, it is either a quality about an essence or it's a person. How should we translate the part B, the word was with God, the essence, the divine, or God was with the Father. Or, excuse me, the word was with the Father. We should, we should translate God as the Father, right? And the word was with the essence of God. And the word was with divinity. No, it doesn't make sense. You're with a person or thing, not an attribute, okay? So the word was with the Father. The Son was with the Father. Is everybody with me? But we already know the Father is God. That's why the authors of the Bible don't always have to tell you when it's referring to God the Father as the Father or God in the same sentence. They can say the Father, and you're supposed to know that's God. Or they can say God, and you know that's supposed to be the Father. So here, it just simply says God. In other places, it will say God the Father. You guys tracking with me? Okay. So in the beginning was the Son, Jesus. And Jesus is with the Father, who is God. Okay. Now let's go to the next part. And the word was the Father or the essence? The essence. Does everybody get that now? How do we know that is true? Because in verse 14, it says the word who we... And scroll down there for me, good sir, please. Let me just get the pad. I think, uh, Lauren, can you help them out? I think it will be better if I get that pad. They don't have to try to keep up with my craziness today. It's going to get crazy, but it's going to be good crazy. Amen. How many know there's a good kind of crazy? Husbands, be careful how you answer that. Mother Day's coming up. But how many know there's a good kind of crazy? And then there's a bad kind of crazy. It's like, Josh, you know you married her for the crazy. But then there's another kind of crazy you need to step away from, right? Come on, somebody. I'll just take the pad up here, please. Thank you. The Word became flesh. It doesn't say the Father became flesh. It says the Word, that one that we know is the Son. How do we know that's the Son? 
Because it says, we have seen his glory, the one and only Son. So whose glory have we seen? Somebody say the Son. Thank you. Okay. And where did he come from? Thank you. Where did he come from? Just put the mouse there for me, gentlemen, so I can get it. There we go. Okay, I see it right there. So he came from the son, uh, the father, the son, let's start right here. The son came from where? The father. There we go. So now we just go right back here, and we can insert those words and test to make sure we did right. In the beginning was the son, and the son was with the father, and the son was God like the father. Amen? Now, how do we know we got that one right? All we used was 1 in 14. Let's see if that's right. I'm going to read it one more time with using 1, 1 and 1, 14. In the beginning was the Son. The Son was with God the Father. And the Son was God like the Father. Let's see if that translation was right as we go, or interpretation is right as we go to verse 18. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in relationship with the Father and has made him known. So now you see the two uses again of God. No one has ever seen God. Does that mean essence or does that mean the person called the Father? That's the person. How do we know that's going to be the person of the Father? Because here he is right there in the sentence. How do we know when it says who is himself God is now the essence? Because it says this is the one we've seen and he's the son. Otherwise, you have the Bible contradicting itself. You have the Bible saying no one can see God and live, and yet God is appearing all the time. Amen? Type in here for me Exodus chapter 33 verse 11. Exodus chapter 33 verse 11. Look at what this says here. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. So how would Moses speak to God? Face to face as he would a friend, right? Now later on, Moses is speaking to God and he says, can I see you face to face? And God says in Exodus 30, 20, the same exact chapter, the same exact conversation you cannot see myself, for no one may see me and live. You see a contradiction now, unless you believe in what we're going to call the Trinity. How did, how did he in one place speak to the Lord face to face? And how did he in another place not be able to see God at all and live? You have to now have two persons who share the essence of God. Going back to our passage of John you can clearly see the two persons. The Holy Spirit is coming up in a later conversation, but it's clear. No one has ever seen God, the person of the Father. But the one and only Son, who is himself God in essence, in his nature, and in his closest relationship with the Father, he makes him known. Does everybody see that? I don't want anybody to be confused. Text questions right now to our Facebook page on the, web's, uh, the, the Facebook page, Metro Praise Church page, Facebook, if you have questions, and then, Lauren, you can text them to me because I want to make sure nobody gets this, uh, no, nobody uh, misses this, and everybody gets this because there is nothing here to be confused about. I have not tried to play a trick with you. I have not tried to force anything. I want you to see it for yourself. Can I hear an amen? amen. Is the chart on the other side? 
Can you put up the chart for me now, please? Sabellianism doesn't take those scriptures and interpret them the way we just clearly did. It has to lose the father and son distinction. Does everybody get that? You lose the father and son distinction. In one place, we're told no one can see the father. Thank you. No one can see God. But then in another place, we're told that we can see God. How is that possible? Because there's two persons that we're talking about. Who is the God we've never seen? Who is the God we have seen? The Son. Otherwise, how are you going to make sense of a place like Exodus 33:11? Moses, he speaks to God face to face, the Lord. That's God's name. That's Yahweh. That's clearly God. But then later on, he wants to see him face to face. And then he's told here, no one can see my face and live. It's answered in the New Testament. How many know when Jesus is being baptized, we hear the Father, but nobody sees him? Did anybody see the Father at Jesus' baptism? But what did they do? They hear him. When Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration, could you see Jesus? Yes. Could you see the Father? But you heard him. Right? You get it. Jesus can be seen. The Father cannot. You can only see him in a vision. You can't be in his presence yet as a human. You'll be eviscerated, evaporated. You'll be destroyed. The Son comes and makes him known to us. That's why when you go to Genesis, put in here Genesis chapter 19, verse 11, you see two persons. This is all Genesis and Exodus, by the way. I mean, this is not even like prophetic books describing weird things, like it's hard to understand. No, this is pretty clear to what's going on. As we read in Exodus, hey, Moses is talking God to God face to face, and then another part, he says, can I see your face? And he says, you can't see me and live. What's happening there? He's talking to the son, but he always hears the father, just like the disciples did on that mountain or at the baptism. You can see Jesus communicate, but you hear another voice, right? And so Moses is like, okay, I talk to you face to face, but I don't talk to you face to face. I want to see you, the voice. And then the father says to him, you can't even see me and live. Let me show you here again in Genesis. Look at Genesis Chapter 19, when we see the destruction of um, Sodom and Gomorrah, look at verse 24. Genesis 19, verse 24. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from where? The Lord. And where was that one? Out of the heavens. Where is the Lord that's on earth? Go to Gen- uh, Where is the Lord that's raining down? Fire and brimstone. He's on, the, he's on the ground. That's asking for it to be done. Where is the other one? In heaven. Go to Genesis 18. Type that in for me, please. Genesis 18, 1. See, the Lord appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18, 1 on the plains of Mamre. Everybody see that? And then eventually, Genesis 19, he's going to bring the judgment how does that Lord, the person we call Lord, bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah? He moves from Abraham, hanging out with Abraham, goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he talks to his father. Does everybody get it? So Jesus is called the Lord. In Genesis 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Who is that? Is that the father or the son appearing to him? It has to be because no one else has seen the father. So here's the son walking around, talking to Abraham, eats with him. You can't say that this is just a vision. He eats with him. Abraham washes his feet. 
The two other men are angels. They go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. It only took two angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you think the seven are going to do when they come to this earth in Revelation? Can I hear an amen to that? So the men got up to leave. Those are the angels. They look down toward Sodom and Gomorrah. How do I know they're the angels? You start in Genesis 19, and it says the two angels arrived at Sodom. How many visitors came to Abraham at 18? Three. The Lord came, and then he came with the angels. Three men in total. Two men leave in 19 to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Does everybody see that? Where is the, the Lord? The Lord's here hanging out with Abraham. Does everybody get that? The Lord said the outcry against Sodom is great. So he starts to do it. He starts, um, Abraham starts to intercede. And look at it right here. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. The two angels leave. The Lord stays here. And Abraham stands before the Lord. And they're talking. Okay? Everybody get that? Now in Genesis 19, the angels are about ready to bring their judgment. 27 says, or 24 says, that it's going to come from the Lord on the earth, the same one who has been meeting with Abraham face to face, the same one that has been there this whole time. Now the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from who? The Lord, and where was he? Out of the heavens. When we see Jesus on earth, where is the Father? In heaven. When we see Jesus on earth, where is the Father? In heaven. Okay. Now, on what I thought I wasn't going to spend any time on, are we ready to move from this? Class, don't feel like you have to. If you have any questions, like I said, go to the Facebook page, Metro Praise International, and we'll make sure you get it. Now, the reason why I said in this passage there really isn't a compelling argument for sabellianism or oneness is because right after he starts talking, he clearly begins to say in verse 19 of chapter 5, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. How many know right there we've blowed up oneness? The Son cannot be the Father. How could you say they are the same person here? Their argument has to be debunked in John 1.1, and now it will never make sense moving forward. So for them to try to say he's talking about himself in two different modes, this would be the equivalent of saying Joe the wakeboarder can do nothing unless Joe the pastor allows him to do so. Is that logical? Is that how the Bible, the God of the Bible talks? Joe the wakeboarder can't do anything unless Joe the pastor allows him. How many Joes are we talking about, dude? And then let's just take out Joe the and just do it like how he's doing it, father and son. Because I'm a father and I'm a son. I'm a father to my children and a son to my father, right? So now notice this. The son can't do anything unless the father gives him permission. What would be the first question you would ask me? Well, who's the father and the son? And if I go, well, I'm a son to Jim Y. Rostick, that's, that's what I meant by son. And then I'm a father to Bethany, that's what I meant by father. How many know you're now confused? But I'm talking about myself. I'm the father to my children, and I'm the son to my parents. That's just all that I mean. 
You would say, like, what are you talking about, dude? You basically just said, Joe can't do something unless Joe allows him to do it. That's not how the Bible talks. So the person-object distinction, the law of identity, the law of non-contradiction applies to the Bible. God gave us these laws. Otherwise, the world would make no sense. We don't read the Bible in contradiction. We don't read the Bible with uh, using folly. We use the logic and the reasoning that God has given us. These are our interpretive rules. If the Bible contradicts itself, something is wrong. Can I hear an amen? So now what is the one that I actually wanted to spend some time with that maybe will have to be part two is the one that really is the most tempting to believe if you don't understand the Trinity. Because Arianism says God the Father is not the Son. Okay, praise God. We're past the world of, not, of contradictions and Joe sending Joe. Okay, we're past that world now. This is what they're going to say. That you're right, guys, Trinitarians, you're right in this way. The Father and the Son are not the same person. And guess what? Even in this passage, it says the Son can come in his Father's name. So when you read about Yahweh doing this and Yahweh doing that and Yahweh doing that, that's no different than Lucas, Joe's son, coming in the name of Wyrostic. Because that would be true, would it not? Who came, to you, who, who came and delivered the pizza yesterday? Wyrostic. And who's preaching today? Why Rostick? My son could have delivered the pizza and I could be preaching today. There's no contradiction there, is there? My son can come in my name Yahweh or my name Why Rostick and bear that name and so can I and we not be the same persons. So they're on to something, aren't they? In a debate, if you were debating with them, that we just read right here, notice, the son says, I can't do anything, no thing by myself. They'll say, is that something God would say? If God is really God, everything he does is by himself. So if you're saying Jesus is God, you're saying now a God or the God can't do things by himself. That Trinitarian is the contradiction. And if you debate or discuss with an Aryan that's quick on their feet and you don't have an answer, that's now where they'll tie you up. Starting right here at the beginning, the son says he can do nothing by himself. In other words, he's powerless by himself. But I thought you Christian says God is all-powerful. Jesus is now saying, I'm not all-powerful. So where does the answer lie? The answer lies further in the context. Come back for part two next week. Because I already hear second service folks being rowdy. But the answer lies in the incarnation in the verses that I gave you right here. John 1.14, we've already been over. And then in Philippians 2, what do they teach us? The Son becomes flesh. So when God, all-powerful, the Son, becomes a man, how is he going to come? Is he going to come as a superman, beaming fire out of his eyes, floating on the clouds, never riding on a horse and buggy, you know, uh, just doing whatever he wants, zipping and zapping out of, you know, out of a one place to the other? 
Or is he going to come as a man? The Bible literally says about Jesus in Philippians 2, and I'll give it to you right here, and then we'll close out. Let me, uh, let me help myself here put the scripture next to this. Go now to Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 and onwards. The same Bible that the Arian will use will now contradict them. Because notice here at the beginning of this passage, John, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He is in the nature God. But when he came to earth, he did not use his powers to his advantage. He made himself what? Nothing. So does it surprise a Trinitarian to hear that Jesus talks about himself and says, I can't do nothing unless I hear the Father say, uh, Father do it? No, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise us in any way because he is clearly teaching us that he is in the flesh. But there will be problems for them in just a few moments because what the Father is giving this creation, what the Father is supposedly giving this creation is now idolatry to the Jews. It's one thing to come in the name of God. Remember, Jewish prophets had the name of God in their names. Elijah. The name of God was in there. You guys remember that? Daniel. El. The name of God in his name. El. Okay? So yes, you can bear the name in this example of Wyrostic. That's true. But can you be worshipped as El or as Yah? Was Daniel worshipped as Yah? Was Daniel in the place like Yah being called God? Even though he had the name of God in his name, was Daniel called God? Was he worshipped as God? No. But what we see is that when this angel of the Lord comes or this person called Yahweh in the Bible, he's worshipped, he's called God directly to his face as we saw with Abraham and with Moses in those passages, and we begin to see that what the Father has him do are the very things attributed only to God. Notice this. For just as the Father raises the dead, gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleases to give it. Oh, hold on. You mean there is a creature that can give life however he pleases? That only belongs to God. Why does the Father allow the Son to do that? Because the Son is in equality with the Father. Can you show me anywhere else in the Bible where a creature decides who gets life? I'm not talking about somebody asking for the dead to be raised. I'm talking about the creation of life itself. Please put in here Genesis chapter 2. Is it not God alone? who created us and breathed into us. Notice that it says here, the Lord God. Can this just be somebody coming in the name of God? Come on. 
This is the Lord God. Who is this right here in this context? The Lord God. Not a representative. Does everybody get that? This is not like Ezekiel. This is not like Daniel. This is not like Elijah. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God planted the garden, and so on and so forth. Who is doing all of this? The Lord God, but who is the Lord God? In this context, some of you got confused. Go to John chapter 1, verses now 3 and onward. Look at John chapter 1. Through him, talking about the word, all things have been made. How many things have been made? All things. Without him, nothing has been made that was made that has been made. Can anything be made without Jesus? So if Jesus is a creature, who made him if he made everything? Do you notice the contradiction? If Jesus made everything, could he have made himself? He must be the self-existing one. Because everything that has ever been made came from where? Came from Jesus. So without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now notice this. In him was what? Life. Hold on. Genesis says that the Lord God is giving life. Where was that life? Where was that life in Genesis? In Jesus. In him was life. Come on. In him was life. Thank you, Lauren, for helping me. If I could have half the class help me like Lauren, that would be helpful. In him was what? Life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Who does it say in Genesis gave life to all mankind? That doesn't say Jesus. In Genesis, who does it say? The Lord God. That's pretty specific now. That's not just Elijah. Well, Elijah has the name of God there. No, no, no. Daniel has the name. Of the, no, no, no. This is Yahweh himself. Can you show me anybody else in the Bible being called the Lord God other than the Lord God, other than who we worship? Do you see now they start to contradict themselves? They start to now make another person being called God in a way that no one can be called. And you start to have this person be ascribed the very things that only belong to God. Now, when it says here in John that the Father gives this to the Son, does this mean that the Son does not have it in himself? Only one person saying no. Guys, pay attention in closing. Amen? I'll play the soft music in just a moment. Do you know why I read you 2 Timothy? To see if you could learn sound doctrine. We have people in our church that have come out of cults. Seriously. We have a dear sister in the church that lost her husband to a cult, divorced her, and married a member from that cult that worships a woman as God, and they call her Mother God. And he was raised a Christian as well. My friends, hear my heart. It's not a shouting message, but it's good for you to know. I'm going to ask the question again. Just because the Father gives to the Son on earth, 
the ability to do things, does that mean the Son of God does not have it within himself? No. We've already read in Philippians that he had it. He's just not using it to his own benefit. He is explaining to these people who know that the language he is using is making himself equal to God. You see, the oneness would get all excited and go, that's what we're saying. He's because he is God. He is the Father. We're like, no, no, he's a different person, but you're right. He's equal to God. See, this blows up the Aryan because the Aryan now has to say, well, the Jews were misunderstanding him. No, the Jews weren't. The Jews were understanding him perfectly. He was acting as if he owned the whole joint. He was acting like Sabbath was about him. He was acting as if he calls the shots. And they were saying, how can that be? Only God calls the shots. Only God can bend the rules. Only God gives the laws. And you're doing it all on your own. And you're acting as if you're him. So when he starts off and he starts saying, the son can't do anything without the father. And only the father gives the son life. He's not denying that he's God. He's explaining to them why you can see him and not die. Why you can interact with him and not get blowed up. He's explaining, I'm not the father. In other words, he's saying, I'm not him, but I am the son. And as the son, I can do whatever the father does. It's just in this place of incarnation, carne, flesh, in this place of flesh, I only do what I see him doing. And some would say, which I still believe is good doctrine, the monarchy of the Father, is that this has been going on for, for eternity in submission one to another, that the Son always submits to the Father, and the Father and Son have the Spirit submit to them, that this is the divine family of God. There, there is other discussions in that that I don't have time to get into. But clearly what he is saying here is that the Father is exalting me in front of you because I've come to die and do a work of redemption. Jesus didn't come to be God. Jesus came to be man. When he came as God, and you never stopped being God, by the way, but he limited his ability. He turned down his dial. Just like I say, when I wrestle my children, I don't wrestle them like I would wrestle you, tossing Zoe, my eight-year-old, across the room. You know what I'm saying? Jesus turned it down for a reason, but he still had access to it. He's explaining to them why he came. But notice this. The things that we'll start to get into as you come next week are the things that only God said he would do. Only God can judge me. But according to Jesus, who's the one that's going to judge? He's going to judge. But you go through all of those scriptures in the Old Testament. Who's the one always judging? God, God, God. God, I have tons of them here to go through. God judges, God judges, God judges. But then now Jesus is saying, I judge, I judge, I judge. So you either say Jesus is God because all of those scriptures said God was going to judge, or now you introduce a second God that has the exact same name of the other God, and you're worshiping him, and you're no longer a Jew. You're an idolater with multiple gods. And that's literally where Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons will eventually go if you hold their feet to the fire, is they'll say, yeah, there's another God. He's a lesser God, like how Zeus is a lesser God then uh, Hercules is a lesser God than Zeus. That's how, and it's like, hold on, you just left the whole Bible now. 
We're showing you there's always been just one God. But the reason why we can worship Father, Son, and Spirit is because they all share that same nature. The reason why they can all do only what God does is because they all share the same nature. That's why the Son can say, in all of those places of judgment that belong to God in the Old Testament, that's me. The reason why he can do that is because that was him. That is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is the one that showed up. Amen. All right, Vinny, would you come please? Play the soft music. Let's lay on this plane. Let's go back to singing. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was. God, Father, we thank you today for this service. Like Father, like Son. Father, your Son is just like you. You sent him to this earth to be our Redeemer. And today we learned about your distinctions and persons. Let us not be confused, O oh Father, between who you are and who your Son is. By the third person of the Blessed Trinity, Holy Spirit, Espirito Santo, would you come and show us who the Father is and who the Son is in the mighty name of Jesus. Just a few moments before we dismiss. Would you pray like how Jesus taught us to pray? To the Father in his name by the Holy Spirit and ask him to show you who he is and who the Father is. The Holy Spirit will begin to speak to your heart. In just a few moments, we'll have the altar workers up here. And if you would like to accept Christ Jesus as your Lord, the Son of God who came from heaven to earth to be our redemption, to ascend back to heaven to be with his Father, if you want to accept him as your Lord today, they'll be up here to pray with you. If you have any needs in your life, they'll pray with you. If you desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power, as Jesus was on earth as our example, as the dove came on him and empowered him, you can receive that power.